At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Support for WABE comes from Capital Good Fund, introducing Georgia Bright Solar Lease Program, a new rooftop solar initiative designed to create pathways to equitable and inclusive solar, sustainability, and monthly savings for Georgians. Learn more at georgiabright.org. From WABE in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. Horizon Theater recently extended its production of the Tony Award-winning musical Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. Later this hour, we'll hear from Atlanta director Heidi McCurley. Plus, Le Cibu Grand is in the spotlight for our series, Speaking of Music. First, in Atlanta's downtown area, unoccupied empty storefronts were once a common sight. Less so today, as the neighborhood has undergone radical change and reinvigoration over recent years. To keep the energy flowing and the city's beauty on view, Downtown Windows, a new initiative from Arts and Entertainment Atlanta, has identified a handful of vacant storefronts ideal for public art displays. This year, a small group of curated artists will set up interactive exhibitions, sculpture, photography, and more in these spaces. Joining me now via Zoom are Fredalyn Fraser, Project Director of Planning and Urban Design at the Atlanta Downtown Improvement District, with participating artist Boyan again. Fredolin Boyana, welcome to City Lights. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Fredolin, please explain the scope of the Downtown Windows projects and the possibilities it offers the artists. It's a wonderful program in partnership, not only with, but with um, property owners. It's a unique idea where we know we have these vacant storefronts. How can we actually activate these storefronts, bring attention to these vacant spaces, and potentially draw interest in terms of eventually having those storefronts in that retail space occupied? So what better way than to tap into the wonderful, unique art community that we have here in Atlanta. And so they are given full reign. We identify these properties in partnership with, like I said, the property owners who are willing and uh, turn it over to these wonderful artists who then create these unique installations in the windows. How were those artists selected? Well, you know, Arts and Entertainment District has been running for about four years now, and we have a, we've engaged over a hundred different artists and creatives in downtown. So it's not hard for us to identify them. We've worked with most, most of the artists right now are ones that we've worked with in the past in our early years. And soon we'll be starting up a program where we'll submit, uh, the artists will submit proposals and we will then uh, review them on a broader scale. But right now, they are artists that we've worked with in the downtown in some form. So they have a connection to downtown. Two of the featured downtown window storefronts offer an opportunity for large-scale photography displays. Will you talk about Ken West and Johan Lamouler and the curators that brought their work together? 
Well, that was part of the Villa Albertine um, project curated by Floyd Hall. So in partnership at the time with our South Downtown partners who have a significant area of storefronts, they really wanted and saw the potential of having art in their windows as a way to enliven the street as their development came online. So it was something not only working with the developers, but also with the artists to find a way to really highlight their artwork. So it was a project out of Villa Albertine, which is this partnership that we have. For listeners who may not be familiar, what is Villa Albertine? Well, they have locations or project sites throughout the world. So it's a relationship between the creative community in Atlanta and the French embassy. There's a Villa Albertine in Los Angeles. There's a site here in Atlanta. And they brought this project to us. Uh, we weren't even aware of them until they shared the, you know, what they do. And so this was just one small component of their programming that they do throughout the year. Mm, very special for Atlanta. Please tell us about the other featured artists, Mike Stasny, Caro Guro, and Almost Gaia. What have they decided to do with this space? If you haven't been on Walton Street, that's where Mike's location, his storefront, it's the beautiful balloon installation. We call it Pink Balloon. Yeah. It's just a very whimsical installation. If you know Mike, he's known for his inflatables. And so it's really quite eye-catching when you walk by there. And that's at uh, 42 Walton. And in Almost Gaia, it's just a surreal installation at 82 Peachtree. Uh, beautiful work by that collective of artists. And then, of course, we have Bohana's piece, Orchard Dream 1 and 2, which is the most recent installation at 105 Lucky Street. Bohana, your work explores ideas relating to nature, neuroscience, and biology at the microscopic scale. Would you talk about how those themes inform your work? Yes, thank you. So in my work, I merge art, science, and technology because I'm very interested in subjects of our time, which are body and landscape in time of digital and biotechnologies, in time of global warming, and very much healthcare as a human right. When I say body and landscape, is because we are immersed in these changes and they affect us on macro and also on micro level. Mm -hmm. And as a former scientist, this micro level is very important to me and mesmerizing. So I merge all of these together. For this particular work, Orchid Dreams, and both technology and climate and healthcare as a human rights shaped this work. It's a progression of a body of work that was called Science of Happiness that I worked for last three years. And I was searching for a psychology of shape and color that can produce feelings of uh, well-being. And naturally I was drawn to flowers mm. and I was uh, merging the knowledge of psychology of shape and color with uh, parametric biology, which is type of biology that's specific to plants and in biomimicry. And I was working with AI and placing these ideas and concepts into prompts that then produced forms and spaces that I would recognize as something that has a potential to create this wellness in a digital space. So digital technology, light and projection, and virtual reality often form important components to the sculpture and experiences you present. Would you talk a bit more about how you engage with those media and their role in downtown windows? Yes. So first, how do I engage with the media? So as an artist interested in technology, technology is kind of material that I work with. 
And it's rapidly changing. And in the beginning, it was just using projectors or sound. But as technology changes so fast, it's become challenging because I constantly need to learn how to use new tech. AI became very prevalent, first with ChatGTP, which is a text-based, but mm-hmm. then this program called MidJourney, which creates images. So I was curious and I wanted to try it. And it was actually very pleasurable and fun to work with. So I brought the research of the science of wellness into the digital sphere. And uh, that resulted in creation of this body of work, or Orchid Dreams. And what I really like is this knowledge that the feelings that we have when we see certain forms of colors, like feeling of comfort, of enthusiasm, of warmth, of joy, wonder, these feelings actually create dopamine and serotonin in our mind, which are hormones of happiness. Mm. So it kind of brought the full circle, you know, the research of biology, the research of psychology, and then research of new media. And that's how this body of work was created. And how do you make use of this space and surfaces available to you at downtown windows for these things. Yes, I was so excited because downtown has some of the most beautiful architecture in Atlanta, yet we don't often go to downtown, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm very grateful to AE for activating the space. And when I was looking at the windows available, 105 Lucky Street spoke to me because it has roots in, in the neoclassical architecture which is our architecture that I very much like because it conveys this like a historical permanence, familiarity, stability, asymmetry, which is, I think it's soothing in a time of uh, uh, social and technological shift, mm. which is a time in which we live. And so I immediately was drawn to this location. We had a challenge because windows are uh, slightly tinted but I thought that that really went with the subject of orchids because they kind of always hiding. So you need to peek in and, and have this like a sense of mystery. I also want to give a shout out to uh, Noah, Kent and Dawn and Adam who uh, were with me on this location and they were very helpful and gracious. So the whole process of finding the architecture the windows installation was very enjoyable for me. Oh, what a wonderful description with the tinted windows and the mystery surrounding orchids. Recurring materials in your sculptural work appear to look like clouds. What materials do you use to achieve that effect? Well, thank you for noticing that. That's such a beautiful question. And actually, I've been working for more than a decade with uh, sheep's wool because, uh, again, I'm very interested in, you know, how do we collectively curb this global warming? So I chose the material that is biodegradable and it's natural. And when you stretch this material, you get a cloud-like shapes. It's not necessarily that I'm interested in clouds. It's just that we see this repetition of shapes in nature, right? So I think that, you know, subconsciously, because I've worked with the wool for so long, those shapes are so innate to me that when I work with technology or different subjects, they come up kind of as my personal aesthetics, I guess. Mm-hmm. Fredolin, another concurrent project for A&D Atlanta is the Celebrate Downtown Atlanta initiative showcasing artists local to Atlanta with public exhibitions. The next artist to show for this series is Adam Crawford with an animated art display on view through February. Where can his work be seen downtown? 
Well, I'm glad you asked that. One of the other pillars, as you mentioned, in terms of programming in A&E is this community messaging component. And since we have access to several digital signs because A&E's backbone is the fact that we manage these signs, we partner with media companies and a percentage of that revenue comes back to us to do all of these wonderful activations and one of them is this media, the community messaging piece. So Adam has created a wonderful animated piece of celebrating downtown. Uh, if you know Adam, he's owner of Cat Eye Gallery in South Downtown and just a great proponent. He curated the other two pieces that are also a part of this community messaging. His is will go up mid-February, so I'm not sure of the location just yet, but where people can find that information is always on the A&E site. And as soon as it goes up, we also push it out on our social media. But it'll be on several signs in downtown just to premiere for 30 days as it rotates within the commercial content. And then after that, it'll become part of our evergreen content that you'll see rotating throughout the downtown on various signs. Oh, that's great. Can you talk a bit more about Adam Crawford's art and why his style and content appealed to celebrate downtown Atlanta? Well, actually, being a downtown gallery, and we always want to promote our local artists, and he's been there for quite some time, one of the few remaining um, galleries in downtown, and we hope to see more. But he has a gallery there and just shows so many of the the different artists within our city. So he's a big proponent in terms of also giving them exposure. So Adam came to us and said, you know, I would love to do something with the signs. He was actually one of the first grantee recipients of the A&E grant program when we started four years ago. So he uh, was part of that group of five, which has now increased to 21 artists this year who received grant funds. So he brought this unique idea and we sat down and just worked with him to come up with a concept that he could also curate, he would create one piece. And then he also included George F. Baker III mm -hmm. and India Nabarro. So their works are part of the curated work that he did for us. And we're so glad that he came with the idea and that we had the opportunity to take advantage of it. Finally, Fredolin, how does your background as an urban planner and designer inform what you think Atlanta's art community can offer the downtown neighborhood? Early on in my planning career, I really began to see how the creative class could help in terms of shaping the urban environment. And as, as we've kind of evolved our practice of urban planning, it's become even more apparent just how important it is to have that creative aspect incorporated at the beginning of your planning process. And so we're seeing more and more of that. And I think that's what has really made me excited about these opportunities is that the, the district affords us an opportunity to support and really um, amplify the work of the great, wonderful artists that we have in the city and at the same time, partner with developers and give them bright new ideas in terms of how art can be a part of their development and their projects. So it's a, it's a two-way street, and I think everyone benefits from that. As Bahana just mentioned, it's the energy that when you walk by a piece of art or when you see one of these installations or when you see one of the more permanent installations that have resulted as a development that we have downtown that it brings a smile to your face. So mm. it's all about that energy in bringing it downtown and celebrating it. Fredlin M. Fraser, Project Director of Planning and Urban Design at the Atlanta Downtown Improvement District, and artist Boyana Kin. More information about the downtown windows and Celebrate Downtown Atlanta Public Art Initiatives is on our website at wabe.org slash citylights. In a moment, we'll hear about Horizon Theater's production of Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 
recently extended and now on stage through March 3rd. Amplifying Atlanta, this is WABE. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for being here. The best new musical since Hamilton is how the New York Times described Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 when the show debuted on Broadway in 2016. The show is set in the luxurious salons and opera houses of 19th century Moscow. The story is adapted from Tolstoy's War and Peace with book, music, and lyrics by Dave Malloy. Now a new production of Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 is on stage at Atlanta's Horizon Theater, directed by Heidi McCurley. When the director recently joined City Light senior producer Kim Drobes via Zoom, McCurley began by explaining where this story fits into the larger world of war and peace. So we have Pierre in full tilt existential crisis, (laughs) and we have sort of cementing of the dualities of this story. You have Pierre, you know, older than Natasha, trying to figure out what his place in life is and lacking love, whereas Natasha at the beginning of her life, you know, young inner teens, still late teens. Um, she is engaged to Andre Volkansky. And uh, he is a hero because he's off fighting this war that these aristocrats, you know, they they know it exists, but they don't really know the details. So, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, this is a world in which you really can shut the door and, and not you know, be engrossed in what's happening beyond your walls. Mm. And there's a whole lot of that going on in the story. Um, And so he is the reality of what's happening in the world. And she goes to stay with her godmother along with her cousin and friend, uh, Sonia, because their men are at war. So they're going to wait with their godmother, played by Terry Burrell, who's an Atlanta favorite. And while she is there, she goes to the opera and she meets Anatole. And, you know, there's a duality in these two men. Uh, Andre is very much the military man, no nonsense. And Anatole is like a rock star. He's all electric. He has a energy about him, which she's never been around before. And he sweeps her off her feet. So you have these two storylines, you know, Pierre trying to find his purpose and Natasha, you know, coming of age and making, you know, all the missteps and uh, feeling (laughs) all the feels that you feel (laughs) as you, you know, grow up. And, you know, Tolstoy is very Dickensian in how he writes. There's many, you know, the web of characters is vast, and yet everything comes together um, in the end in terms of characters and plot lines. 
Well, let's talk about Pierre just a little bit more. Pierre emerges as a sensible friend to Natasha. And in the novel, he and Natasha eventually find love and get married. But in the musical, it doesn't seem to make their future quite so obvious. Would you talk a bit about the relationship between Natasha and Pierre in the show, how it develops, and where we find them after the dust settles from Natasha's romantic disappointment? You know, I don't want any spoilers, but Pierre heals himself when he when he begins to see the world beyond himself. So by helping Natasha out of her, you know, deep and dire circumstances, he helps himself because, you know, a woman making the choices that she made, you know, either needs to go off and join a nunnery or try to offer her own life or take a big action step because she's ruined herself. And Pierre's visit, you know, helps to solidify that her life is not over. And it's just beautiful. You have this other layer on this show of the majority of people on our show play instruments. You know, we have this immersive staging with people playing multiple instruments, many folks, So you're also sort of blown away by the way these people step in and out of accompanying our musical. You know, this is a lot of music to, like, memorize. Right. (laughs) So Because I have a movie. It's immersive. So you're not, like, in a pit behind the music stand. You're playing your instrument, you know, a foot away from somebody in the audience. So... You know, music stand would be uh, cumbersome, <laughs> to say the least. I would think that one of the toughest jobs belongs to Alexandra Joy, who plays Natasha. She's yes. singing through so many of the show's biggest dramatic scenes. What can you tell us about casting Alexandria and why she was your choice for this demanding role? Well, Allie Joy right now is... She is a young performer that is just growing and growing and growing. She has a gorgeous voice. Um, Her emotional availability, I would say, is um, sort of remarkable. And she, you know, what's difficult about this role and also sort of delicious about this role is the arc that you get to play as an actress. You know, who she is, wide-eyed and lack of life experience at the beginning of this art character arc and then by the end of the show she's come so far you know in terms of her life experience and maturity well the great comet as it's sometimes more briefly known has been staged in several different configurations since its 2012 premiere the first performance was an immersive experience for its audience with performers moving all throughout the space and amongst the audience on broadway the musical was adapted for a more traditional stage but still many have managed to get the audience involved in the production. Will Horizons production try any experimentation with the boundaries between stage and audience or or breaking the fourth wall, as they say? Oh, gosh, yes. Absolutely. (laughs) Gosh, yes. You know, as we all work hard to try to have theater survive, you know, in this day and time, We have to give people something they cannot get on their screens at home or elsewhere. Um, We are a part of their world. They are a part of ours. It is completely immersive. Now, the intimacy, you know, was so much a part of its popularity. So, yes, this is going to be unlike anything you've seen in that space. Um, We have a bar, you know, where audience members can sit around the bar, the actual bar on stage. We have uh, tables and chairs on stage as well. And then we've actually made um, audience platforms, you know, where usually there are chairs, they're playing areas. So um, we also have a second level, uh, which sort of helps to create, you know, the um, 360 effect in there. Our drummer and Holt, our um, musical director, they're also up on that second tier as well. 
yeah, to me, that's so much a part of the fabric of the show. I absolutely wanted it to be immersive. I get that. And I appreciate your descriptions of the set because the world of Natasha and Pierre, it is an opulent one. And these characters are moving through ballrooms and saloons and there's chandeliers and vodka and caviar. How, How does all of this opulence affect the costuming in the production? Oh, gosh, you know, with our costuming, you know, it's also, it, you know, David Malloy calls it electro pop. So mm. in the same way, it's not Hamilton, but there are comparisons that are made where you have more of a, there are parts that are legitimate sounding Broadway music, but there's also parts of it that go full on techno beats. Like <laughs> we have click tracks, you know, that are also a part of the score. And so what I asked uh, Nairobi Moss to create was at least some touch of a modern sensibility for the principal characters. And then as you kind of pull out into our ensemble characters, there will be more and more sort of contemporary sensibilities and more so, you know, somebody you might see in a contemporary funky supper club i love it but you will see regency silhouettes for sure on the women and Mm -hmm. um, on the gentlemen as well but like for instance you know you might see you know a gentleman instead of having his hair done complete regency you know maybe he's got it gelled up into bites um so that that's their modern sensibility so you know, it's Dave Malloy saying, I think these themes are universal of the human condition, and we're not going to place it in a place and time that you may not feel a connection to. We're going to make sure that there's plenty of what you know now <laughs> in what you see and, and what you hear in the lyrics um, so that you can make that connection. But again, dualities throughout this entire show, war and peace, you know, <laughs> classic contemporary. We find dualities every day in the characters and the situations, you know, and I believe all that is so much a part of life. You know, the end and the end of life, we experience it all the time. And when we get out of balance, you know, things don't feel quite right. So, yeah, that's been a lot of what we've talked about. To close out, would you tell us about some of the standout musical moments of the pop opera? Oh, gosh. I have a different favorite every day. There's just a killer number called Dust and Ashes that Pierre sings. And it's where, to me, the big theme, the big thing I want audiences to walk away with is he says, I want to wake up. I want to wake up now. Because he feels mm. like he's sleepwalking through life. That he almost dies in the duel and it really shocks him into realizing that he's got to make a change. And I'm so ready to wake up now. I want to wake up. Don't let me die while I'm like this. I want to wake up. I just bet you there's probably going to be a few people in the audience that might want to wake up a little bit and that it's going to resonate and strike a chord, you know, for people. Heidi McCurley, director of the new production of Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. The musical is on stage at Horizon Theater through March 3rd. And more information is on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. Coming up, we'll hear about the world's largest known classic car junkyard located just an hour north of our city. And later, Le Cibou Grand takes the stage for our series Speaking of Music. Amplifying Atlanta, this is 90.1 WABE. This 
is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Great to have you along. Did you know the last car Elvis Presley bought is permanently located 50 miles northwest of Atlanta? The 1977 Cadillac Seville sits in an eclectic museum known as Old Car City, USA. City Lights producer Summer Evans recently visited the rural town of White, Georgia to see how the 32 acres American car junkyard intersects with nature and art. Dean Lewis, the owner and creator of Old Car City USA, shuffles into a beat-up Jeep with two visitors who drove up from Clearwater, Florida to see the world's largest classic car junkyard. Now these cars here, Uh my mother and daddy put them in here over 77 years ago. Over 77. I joined Lewis and the Florida visitors on a car tour of the property. Been sitting there that long, the same pine straw room. We never clean them off. Uh-huh. Leave everything original. Yes. Something like those trees, we'll take them off, but uh-huh. try to leave everything original. Before Old Car City was both a photographer and classic car enthusiast paradise, it was his family's small general store. His parents opened it in 1931. Then in the 40s, they transitioned it into an auto salvage yard. They would sell car parts to locals and automobile collectors. Lewis has lived in Bartow County his entire life. He's now 86 years old and is known as the mayor of Old Car City. Like I say, I, I, don't, even like, I, don't, I don't even care about going to Florida. I like to be right here. I might go off, you know, a night or two, but I'm always ready to come back home. The property is filled with rows and rows of antique cars. They're covered in pine straw. Some have busted out windows, missing doors, or no wheels. What were once painted in vibrant colors of bright orange and electric blue have faded in the Georgia heat. The chrome finish on the metal bumpers have rusted over time. Leather seats and steering wheels are missing from some cars, replaced with earth greenery. Surrounding trees push through the floorboards and hoods as if it's no inconvenience that the cars are standing in their way. These vintage treasures are preserved by the environment that surrounds them. As you continue down each row of the cars, you'll also see signs nailed to the trees that Lewis has painted over the years. Each one with a moral saying or a witty idiom. We have sayings all through here, like there's one one man's junk and another man's treasure. Sayings of principle and wisdom up uh-huh. there. Lewis knows each car on the lot down to the make, model, and year it was built. He points out several vehicles that hold a special place in his heart. There's a 1941 hearse in the south, and the south is a Cadillac. And there's a, the truck that Johnny Cash and Andy Griffin used in the murder of Gaeta County. That's right. Lewis has the original 1946 Ford truck from the TV movie Murder in Coweta County, starring Andy Griffith and Johnny Cash. I don't know, John. Looks like the kingdom is beginning to crumble. It don't make no difference what they say. You still don't have a body. Old Car City USA has also served as the backdrop for several music videos, TV series such as The Walking Dead, and magazine photo shoots. Art is a central feature of Old Car City, and towards the back of the lot is the Make Your Mark Art Circle. Here, people who visit can paint a car from the 160-foot diameter of cars that are stacked on top of one another. For safety reasons, the only rules that patrons aren't allowed to do is lift the hood of the cars, destroy them, or try to squeeze between them. I think I've easily been out here 150 times. That's photographer Marco Rossi. He's made Old Car City his second home for the last decade. It's just so overwhelming for a photographer. There's so much to shoot. So I just walked around that first day to notes about what I wanted to do. And, and eventually it just becomes a story. Or in it, and it also is always just a, a beautiful walk in the woods. Rossi is enamored by this ever-evolving art installation. You've got the art of man clashing with the art of nature. And craftsmanship in American manufacturing doesn't really exist that much anymore. And you have so many different lives and crafts displayed out there. 
Lewis shared that people have celebrated a lot of special occasions at the property, including their anniversaries, retirements, graduations, and even weddings. About two years ago, this nice couple came in. We want to get married here. Okay, they got married last April. They had 150 people here. We got a, a little venue down there for that. Another element that adds to this unique museum are the smaller pieces of artwork by Lewis, all of which are created on his preferred medium, styrofoam cups. In the upstairs gallery of the old Car City office, there lines thousands upon thousands of styrofoam cups, each etched and pinned with an original design. Lewis's private office holds his most prized pieces that he has spent hours doodling on. He says each design is not pre-planned. He draws whatever enters his mind that day. This creative outlet began 45 years ago when he got an annual physical, and his doctor told him that he had to quit smoking immediately. So the next morning I went and got me a cup of coffee and sip on it all day. When I got through with the coffee cup, I about throw it away and that'd be something to draw on. Never drew on paper no more, it's always been the cups. Lewis's ingenuity of giving used products a new life as works of art is one of the many reasons people visit from around the globe. Lewis said he has no plans to retire, and similar to the vehicles themselves, he too is a permanent resident of Old Car City, USA. There's a place down here in Georgia you really need to see. Want to really venture all the place you need to be. There's 4,000 cars on a 32-acre lot. City Lights producer Summer Evans reporting from Old Car City, USA. The song you're hearing now is the attraction's theme song written and performed by Eddie McDaniel. More information about the world's largest known classic car junkyard is on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. Atlanta has a well-earned reputation as the arts and culture capital of the South, and every week there is a bounty of events to sample around town. Here with a few examples are Sammy Purcell, associate editor at Rough Draft Atlanta, and Mike Jordan, WABE contributor and senior editor at the AJC. All right, we have Sweetwater's 27th anniversary party. So, yes, Atlanta's OG Breweries, the craft brewing company here in Atlanta, know they're no longer independently owned, but at the same time, there's just something special about Sweetwater being part of Atlanta's culture and being around before all of this big craft beer boom happened. So, 27 years, and this happens on February 17th, starting at 1 p.m. And so, great thing about Sweetwater, whenever they have these kind of events, there's always really good music. They really incorporated live music and concerts into whenever they have an event or a party. And this time, it is Atlanta's own Earth Gang, who I think more people need to talk about, more people need to support. You know, they get compared to Outkast all the time as a younger version of them. If you're not familiar with Earth Gang, get out there and see them. They're going to be other performing uh, acts as well, such as Maddie O'Neill, Daniel Donato, Cosmic Country, all of these great rock and roll and hip-hop acts all coming together. So you can go there and you can do general admission. You can also get early bird tickets if you're really fast. But there's also a VIP with two complimentary beers and a very nice primo viewing area where you can watch all the shows with a little bit more comfort and those VIP uh, potty areas. So get in there. Get your tickets soon. It is rain or shine, but, you know, there is a big old warehouse. So you'll be able to keep dry and nice and toasty. So don't worry about it too much. And it is 21 and up. I know sometimes the breweries let you bring in the kids. Not this time, kids. So stay home. Stay Stop drinking the beer and let your parents go have a good time. Again, February 17th, 1 o'clock p.m. to 10.30 p.m. at Sweetwater Brewing. And you can get information at BigTickets.com. What do you have next, Sammy? Romeo and Juliet is at the Shakespeare Tavern through February 25th. So this started a few weeks ago, but there's still time to see it. There are plenty of different versions out there if you want a little primer before you go see that original Shakespeare language for yourself. But it's a really, really cool opportunity. The Shakespeare Tavern is great. They do a ton of great stuff over there. And you can grab your tickets for this at ShakespeareTavern.com. All right, Mike, what else do you have for us? All right, we have the Geek Garage Sale at Georgia Tech Exhibition Hall on February 18th. So this is where if you enjoy finding some really rare finds 
fun toys, weird T-shirts, and all types of awesome geekery, you want to be at this place. They say they're going to beat the eBay prices. So if you come out there and you'll find all these numerous vendors, you will find amazing, slightly used post-consumer items for every nerdy need that your little nerdy heart desires. It's going to be a $5 attendee fee. So once you get in there, you'll have all of the access you want. It's open to everyone. And think of it as sort of like a garage sale and a resale marketplace all in one for nerdy great things, figurines, all types of fun fan stuff that you can get out there and give a new loving home. Um, and so basically what you want to do is get out there. There's going to be several areas, including North Avenue. So once you get out to where Georgia Tech is, you shouldn't have any problem finding it. But it's going to be an amazing time to pick up some nerdy stuff. All right, what do you have next, Sammy? So coming up through February 25th at the Legacy Theater in Tyrone, we've got Elvis the Musical. So this also started a little bit ago, but you've still got some time to get out to Tyrone and see it. And Elvis has been big lately. You know, we had the Elvis movie, the Priscilla movie, and now there's this musical, which explores the pivotal moments in Elvis's life through the perspectives of those who knew him best. So it spans back to his childhood in Tupelo, Mississippi, to his triumphant 1968 comeback special, his ascent to the king. It goes through his entire life and features over 40 Elvis hits and iconic songs, including That's All Right, All Shook Up, Heartbreak Hotel, Burn in Love, Hound Dog, Don't Be Cruel, Jailhouse Rock, Blue Suede Shoes. I could go on. Uh, you can grab your tickets for this at LegacyTheater.com. And again, that's Elvis the Musical at the Legacy Theater through February 25th. Sammy Purcell, associate editor at Rough Draft Atlanta, and Mike Jordan, WABE contributor and senior editor at the AJC. More information about the events mentioned today is on the website howdoyouatlanta.com. If you are just joining us, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes. Time now for our series, Speaking of Music, where we get to hear from Atlanta musicians in their own words. Hi, my name is Tyler Simone, and I'm the lead singer, songwriter, and guitar player for Lucy Grand. And I'm John Renault. I play bass in the band, and I help Tyler write the songs. We help each other. The Lacibu Grand Sound is indie rock with a little bit of new wave. I got started in music at a very young age. Uh, six years old was when I first knew I could sing, and ever since I loved to sing. I began playing violin when I was 11, and then I picked up guitar in my early 20s and started songwriting with Lucibu Grand in 2018. I am inspired by being surrounded by other creatives, and I'm so happy to be in a community which is filled with a lot of um, artistic and creative people that I can draw inspiration from. to Atlanta because it has such a great diverse music scene. There are lots of people do, trying different things and there's an attitude that people can do unique and different combinations and people are open to hearing it. So we think it's a great place to make music. And we've both lived in Atlanta for over 20 years and it's definitely home for us. And we choose to call it home because of the people, the creatives, and just the limitless possibilities of uh, many industries, even outside of music. So we definitely call Atlanta home for multiple reasons, but mainly because we just love it here. Not Sweet Enough is a song that 
is an anthem to women who are oppressed by systems, by other people, and laws, particularly here in Georgia. And I really think the message should be that if you try to oppress women, women will rise up because women are powerful and we are outspoken, we're intelligent, and we're fierce. What you said to my girl and my family, I'll drive to your city, I'll hunt you down, you talk so much, you will be found. So we just played a show at one of our favorite local venues called The Earl, which was great, but now we're pivoting towards finishing up some recordings and um, making some videos because we recently signed a record deal with a great indie label called Kill Rock Stars and we're getting all our creative juices flowing to, to make a great record. Yes, and we're super excited about the release. It's coming to you later this year, sometime in summer. And uh, we will keep you posted on all the specific details, but if you wanna keep up with us between now and then, check us out on Instagram, at Grand. Tyler Simone and John from Le Cibou Grand. More information about the band, as well as our entire Speaking of series, is on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. You can see Le Cibou Grand perform this Saturday at 10 p.m. on WABE-TV as part of the Sounds Like ATL series. Also on this weekend's program is the acclaimed harpist and friend of the show, Angelica Hairston. More information about the Sounds Like ATL series can be found on wabe.org slash soundslikeatl. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Tomorrow at 11 a.m., WABE brings you a Black History Month special from the series Selected Shorts, a celebration of Langston Hughes. Monday at 11 a.m. on City Lights, we'll hear about Please Touch the Art, the new exhibition on view at Reeves House Visual Arts Center. If you missed part of today's show, like our earlier discussion about the downtown windows and celebrate downtown Atlanta public art initiatives, you could catch up via our podcast. Listen at wabe.org or wherever you get your podcasts. City Lights Managing Producer is Kim Droz. Our producers are Summer Evans, Janine Etter, Adron McCann, and Jacob Smulian. And our engineer is Matt McWilliams. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes. Do connect with City Lights on social media. We're at WABE City Lights on both Facebook and Instagram. And you can follow me on Twitter, now known as X, at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thanks for listening to W-A-B-E Atlanta. Ever wondered where to find the best dumplings in town? Curious about Atlanta's obsession with lemon pepper? Join us on Savory Stories, a new podcast as we uncover the untold tales behind Atlanta's culinary scene. From the roots of your favorite dishes to the creators that bring them to life, we're diving deep into the heart of the city's food culture. Listen to Savory Stories at wabe.org slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. W-A-B-E. Hey, y'all. I'm Mark Kendall. And I'm David Perdue. And we're the hosts of What's Good Atlanta, the new weekly comedy podcast from WABE. On What's Good Atlanta, we run down uplifting and unusual headlines from the universe known as Atlanta. And while we may not be journalists, we are comedians, and we'll be breaking down news and breaking down the stories that make you smile. We're just trying to see what's good, Atlanta. Episodes drop Fridays at WABE.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I get mine from a guy named Craig. Shout out to Craig. Mm -hmm. (laughs) W-A-B-E.